Welcome. You are listening to the Better Together podcast with Callie and Rosario Picardo. We take on topics involving marriage, ministry, parenting, communication, relationships, and other subjects that our listeners want to hear more about. Welcome to another edition of the Better Together Podcast. I'm your co-host, Rosario Picardo. And I'm Callie Picardo. And today we have Dr. Mark Sharona with us. Also, Bishop, Bishop Mark well. Sharona. He's got a lot of titles, and in part because he's a lifelong learner, and it doesn't stop with him. He has a heart to learn, but also to help others who have a desire to be lifelong learners. So he is always coaching teaching, mentoring, and helping others grow in their faith, uh, a pastor, an author, um, and one of the smartest people we know, um, Bishop Dr. Mark Sharona, welcome to the Better Together podcast. <laughs> Thanks, Callie. It's great to be here with you guys. Really great to be here. We're excited because um, Mark has done a new book that is launched in July, and it is called On the Edge of Hope. No matter how dark the night, the redeemed soul still sings. And some of us have been there. Others have not, and maybe a little terrified of the idea of a dark night of the soul. Um, and others might be like, what is a dark night of the soul? So Mark, help us, help us understand what is that? And do Christians go through that? Yeah, you know, there's, there's the term dark night of the soul that goes back to St. John of the Cross. There's also Dark Night of the Spirit, which John Cassian speaks of um, when the publisher was wrestling with which one to talk about. For me, you know, it's because Dark Night of the Soul is more familiar. We use that. But in the book, I actually talk about a Dark Night of the Spirit. And um, but either way. There are seasons where. It was Martin Marty, I believe, in one of his books uh, that talked about how we learn God's presence by his seeming absence. God never forsakes us, but there are times where he hides his face. Mm. And um, David said, thou didst hide thy face. And I was ashamed. I used to lead them in the throng to the procession of worship. And uh, I danced, I sang. And then I went through a season where you seemingly hid yourself from me. And I was, I was dismayed. I, um, there is something to be said for the dealings of God and the tough love of Jesus. When we are not aware of some of the emotional toxicity that we bury alive deep inside us that erupts when we least expect it and throws us into a place of chaos and pain. And um, that was indicative of this three and a half year season that I write about that lasted from 2007 to 2010 and a half. And I often say I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy 
as I look back on it now, I didn't realize how many people go through these kinds of things. And I felt I owed it to the body of Christ to write about it for the sake of my brothers and sisters that may have the experience and not have any sense of, is there something wrong with me? Am I losing my mind? Am I ever going to get out of this? Is there even hope for me? And there is hope. It's why we called it the on the edge of hope. And Mark, um, thank, you know, our, we need to have blood in our work, right? And so yeah. that's um, what brings out, I think, the beauty in this. Um, what were some of the, if you don't mind sharing, some of the circumstances that kind of caused this dark night of the spirit and the, and the soul? Well, I think a, a number of things came together and were part of what I have often called a perfect storm. Um, we were in a place of real success, the way we would term success in church growth and building and development. And um, we outgrew our facility. We were busting at the seams. We then got involved in a deal where we lost tons of money um, in legally trying to secure a piece of property that by the time we were done paying exorbitant amounts to lease a building we couldn't move into, we lost the deal. In the meantime, we had put our building on the market and it sold and we had to be out within a certain amount of time and we had nowhere to go. And a door opened for some very painful uh, negotiations with a, a, um, a property that's utterly beautiful that we're in now. But at the time, um, there was all sorts of conflicts surrounding it that I was falsely accused of things I did not do. We were approached and um, to negotiate. They asked us, the owners of the property said, um, while we are leasing this to um, another church, we know enough about your background in the city and your financial strength that we're, we want you to have this building and we are not going to enter into any further negotiations uh, except with you. Um, I had a thousand and one questions about that precisely because another ministry was using the building. And, um, and, I, and again, I, I went through some painful accusations that weren't true. Uh, so that was, but then we negotiated and we're talking about a difference between a $7,000 a month mortgage to a $70,000 a month mortgage, first mortgage and a balloon of $50,000. So if I, you know, from a pastoral perspective, okay, we have 2000 people, um, and our our mortgage in the building is seven thousand a month, and now we're going to go to seventy thousand a month, and um, plus a balloon of fifty thousand, and we're in a jam. We have nowhere to go. Um, it, at the time, building and renting were all utterly closed up in Orlando, so it was very stressful. And while it worked out, just to give you an example, it, it was $7,000 a month in the new building just for the air conditioning bill. 
So our overhead, apart from the mortgage, our overhead was exorbitant and it was way on the other side of town. So overnight, we went from a few thousand people to, to 400 adults. And um, so there was a certain amount of challenge and stress financially that began to build in me um, from the time we moved in um, in late December of 2006, uh, as we had to create ways in which we were able to maintain that level of financial commitment. And I travel. Um, I have, for the most part, in my journey from the beginning, made my living on the road. I have done very well as a speaker, a traveler. Um, I was certainly um, doing a great deal on one of the major TV networks um, at the time. Um, I'm still on Worldwide TV, but I was I was going somewhere almost every day of the week apart from being in Orlando. And I had to maintain that schedule to maintain the financial commitments that we had made. Um, and then in the middle of that, we had uh, a challenge with our younger son that affected our whole family by that July. And by the time that hit, I was on my way to the Bahamas to be with Miles Monroe to speak at his conference. And while I was on the plane going there out of nowhere, seemingly out of nowhere, I had a panic attack. So when I talk about burying emotional toxicity and all of a sudden it gets spewed up when you least expect it, I was gripped with sudden fear and it was beyond my capacity to cope with. And my sleeplessness began in the Bahamas that night. Um, and then the anxiety began to multiply until within a matter of weeks, I was pacing the floors 24 hours a day because I could not cope with the panic and the anxiety. And then that led to a number of afflictive thoughts and tormenting thoughts that were the beginning of a journey that then I didn't quite know all that I knew about spiritual warfare and prayer was being tested to the limit. And um, because the anxiety was so prolonged, I became exhausted from the sleeplessness. And that then led to um, an impact on my physical well being. But that then led to depression because anxiety and depression often travel together. And it was a long way out of that long, dark tunnel uh, because the pressures didn't go away right away. The situations did not change. And so coping with them became a constant. I had to provide and travel, though I could not sleep. Um, and the complications of what happened with the family created even more financial burden and strain which only added to my sense of anxiety. And um, uh, like I said, it was, well, I'll be quite honest. It was hellish. It was hellish. Mark, how'd you get out of that? How did the Lord, I mean, it's gotta be God, I know, but how did the Lord bring you out of that? Well, uh, one step at a time. Uh, one of my dearest friends who I've known um, 
since I was in Bible school. We both grew up on Staten Island. Um, when I went to Bible school in Brooklyn with Malcolm Smith and Floyd Nicholson at Salem Gospel Tabernacle, he was one of the teachers back then. We have stayed in touch for all the 40 plus years. And um, he knew I wasn't doing well. He flew down and took two weeks out of his life in the initial season to just sit up with me for two weeks when I was pacing the floor and then began to travel with me so that I would not be alone either on a plane battling the panic or in a hotel. And he began to work with me, pray with me. And then I also went to a competent cognitive behavioral therapist to help me deal with the anxiety and the depression. And um, I'm grateful for both of them because without both of their voices, uh, it would have been utterly impossible to deal with it. And I dedicated the book to my friend Vinny. Um, uh, and so the book is dedicated to him. You know, we we're seeing right now, um, people in vocational ministry leaving by the droves. And it's a combination of uh, the stressors um, with uh, tensions, bipartisan politics, um, COVID-19, racial tensions. And uh, it's just become, I know for me, I mean, you're serving, for me, it's just taxing. And it seems like Every week, there's another shoe that drops, mass shooting, Roe v. Wade, um, all these different things, and people are leaving ministry by the droves. It's a miracle that you kept going in your call. I mean, I, th- I think it's miraculous. Yeah, it, 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 I had, there was only one way out, and it was through, but I, I had to decide to choose life every moment of every day for three and a half years. I had to choose to believe that God was with me in spite of the madness that I felt in the madness going, I mean, the insanity of obsessive thoughts, fearful thoughts, anxious thoughts, the heaviness, the preference to die rather than live. But I had mouths to feed, people to care for, The only time I was ever clear was when I was teaching. The darkness prevailed, but then by the grace of God, when I would stand, and I was still on TV, still having to do all of that. Um, I, um, the medical field was a help, but again, they tried all these different medications, which had tons of side effects. So I felt like I had become a human laboratory for which meds work and which meds don't. Uh, Thankfully, today I am free of all of that. But um, one thing it did deliver me from was magical thinking that Christians don't go through these things and that if you just confess it enough, it'll go away. I I no longer believe that. and I no longer ascribe to magical thinking. Do I believe we need to declare the word of God? Absolutely. Do I believe we need to say the Lord is good? Yes. Do I believe in having the scripture on my lips? Absolutely. But I don't believe in magical thinking. And you got to remember, I have a graduate degree in psychology as well as graduate degrees in theology and having to process 
psychological pain, knowing I already knew the answers, but I couldn't cure myself. You know, so the enemy would keep accusing me, uh, physician, heal yourself. And there were people that accused me of that, people that I loved, that at least I thought loved me, that could not relate to what I was going through and made judgments about me. So I came to understand certain aspects of the book of Job in a way I never understood before. So I read Job entirely differently post my dynamic dark night as I would have read it prior. And having been able to sit at the feet of Job scholars and study um, post that season, uh, there's a whole lot we do on the surface level with a faith teaching that totally misrepresents what what was going on in that book. And so I feel like of all the books in the Bible, I might be able to say something a little bit about with insight. It's the book of Job. Mark, you call the book on the edge of hope. Where, where are you? Obviously you mentioned reading Job with greater insight and greater compassion and just a little deeper understanding there. Where have you seen God using this in hindsight where you're in a different place today than you were before? That's a great question. I did not realize when I was going through that, how many people would be suffering post that with anxiety and depression. Post 9-11, we have seen the rise, not just amongst certain segments of the population, but in all segments of the population, male and female, a 75% increase in anxiety uh, in particular and in depression, and more people are languishing rather than flourishing. So mental health on a spectrum of illness to health is something that is on the radar of all people helping professions today in a way that it might not have been quite as severe back in the days when I grew up. So according to one of the cognitive psychologists named Kennedy, back in the 1960s, the average person diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder, which is a disorder of constant anxiety that prevails for at least six months, that makes it difficult to function. Um, where there's no sort of a specific situation. What I battled, they diagnosed me at the time with GAD uh, and other things. But um, what I was dealing with, therapists made it clear, was situational anxiety. Um, And there was no way out of that except through that. And then if it was generalized, I would have had to learn to live with that as a lifestyle, which I have many dear friends that do. And so I want to be sensitive to all of those and all those that live with depression and feel guilty about it, I, 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 I would hesitate to even think about what has been done to these precious brothers and sisters from a theology that doesn't understand human suffering and human pain. So when I think about that, and then I think about how in the 1960s, the average person that would have been diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder was a 55 year old male who was work stressed. Today, the average sophomore in high school lives with those symptoms on a daily basis and we don't diagnose it. So we've got an entire generation of Gen Yers and Gen Zers that live with constant anxiety and depression. What do you think's caused that? How, why has it moved so much younger? 
Um, I think the complications of the rapid advance of information and technology and the increase in um, multiple ways of looking at reality because of technology and the overstimulation of the mind with bombardment of images, uh, the profligation of violence on screens, um, you know, it isn't that there's never been violence. There's always been violence. But in our grandparents' generation, they would have been exposed to newspapers that came out, you know, on a weekly basis with an update from the news. It takes that much time to get from, you know, from Germany and Russia to America in the 1920s. What's going on in World War One? World War Two is a little faster. But today we all have a little device that within seven seconds, seven billion people can know what you put on your Twitter feed. And so violence has now come right within up close and personal while we're having dinner, while we're sitting and watching television. So we don't know where safety begins and horror ends. And we live up close and personal, ever stimulated in our imaginations and our nerve endings by the kind of volatility and chaos that is endemic in the culture. You add to that the fact that we've only had 17 years of world peace um, in the lifetime of Gen Zers and Gen Yers. There's always been some war being fought, some violence somewhere. Now we've got terrorism, both national and global. Um, I mean, there's so many factors that contribute to the kind of emotional unrest. And again, I'll use Dr. Corey Key's term languishing as opposed to flourishing that is prevalent in the culture. So how do we help people move from languishing to flourishing? How do, mm. how do we give them hope, not, not a Band-Aid, not a... A fluff theology. Or, yeah, like a theology of suffering, but one that helps... With resurrection in mind. Yeah. Well, first and foremost, we allow people to feel their pain and bring it to speech without judging them and letting them know they are loved by God and that God is with them in their pain. And that I often have said post that time, this is a season, not a life sentence. And that has become kind of a mantra that I have used as a beginning point of a conversation. And again, because we prefer simplified answers and technique-driven three easy steps, Christianity, the thought of dealing with suffering and pain is foreign to our language of what it means to hear the gospel preached. But it wasn't foreign to the community that heard the gospel, and it wasn't foreign to many of the pre-modern ages that existed before the Enlightenment. It is only a relatively recent development in the last 150 years um, that now all of a sudden we, um, we, we have a pop theology gospel where there's no suffering and no pain, and you can just command it to go away. It is psychologically unstable. It is psychologically unhealthy, and it actually doesn't bring us to joy unspeakable and full of glory. Whereas when we understand the human condition, and while God is not 
God is not the author of our evil or our pain. God is with us in the pain and can teach us from the pain. Um, John Fisher, who used to be the editor-in-chief of Contemporary Christian Music Magazine back in the 70s, and I was one of the early subscribers to that. John wrote a, a musical back in the 70s that I just recently tweeted uh, portions of one of the songs. He wrote a musical called New Covenant. And in that, one of the songs says, we all get hurt. We always seem to wind up face down in the dirt. Hounded by the pain, we just remain satisfied to be hurt again. We close our minds to the meaning of the madness that we find. But first we try to hide out. Then we've got to find out just what pain is all about. Because if there's one thing you need to know, it's that hurting only makes you grow. And the pain you feel is the first step in being healed. There's one thing you need to do. It's to get your eyes off you, place them on the Lord, and he'll make pain an open door. And I have used that. I mean, that has been a lifesaver for me uh, through that whole season. I mean, I would remind myself of those words as well as the words of scripture, but to be a little more specific, I ha I could not run away from facing my anxiety and what was behind it, facing my depression and what was behind it, facing my fears. Fear is different than anxiety. Anxiety is what if thinking. Um, I had to learn how to accept it, not resign myself to it, but accept it. And so there are all sorts of chapters in the book on what I went through to accept that and my resistance to that, because I thought acceptance was resignation. Mark, we call this the Better Together podcast, and it sounds like you had some Better Together experiences with people journeying with you through that season. But also, you know, Job had people that tried to come alongside him and did a little more harm than good. How can those that ha have a loved one going through a dark night of the soul or a dark night of the spirit, how can um, the body of Christ, how can we come along us, along beside people? Uh, I think what we learn in the book of Job is how much we don't want to sit with people in their pain and how we would prefer to have formulaic answers that blame people for where they are and say, this is the cause of sin in your life. If only you would do this, you would decree a thing and it would be established. It's amazing how we've turned decreeing a thing and it'll be established from from Bildad, who is lying through his teeth, and God says, you're not speaking about me faithfully, and we've turned it into a faith message that is totally an unfaithful way of interpreting that. But for those who are listening that deeply understand that suffering and pain are a mystery in many ways, not, not all of our sufferings are the sufferings of Christ. There are some sufferings that are just based on our own ignorance, and um, we need to learn the difference, but when we're dealing with the kind of excruciating, tested to the limit pain that Job went through, and, and it's wisdom literature, so we need to understand the methodology by which we're going to approach it. And the book of Proverbs tells us that wisdom literature can be looked at four different ways. 
And I talk about that in the book. So I won't get into all that, except to say that what what we need to learn is to sit with people and be with them in their pain instead of offer them advice. Let them bring their pain to speech and lovingly be a witness to their pain and reassure them that they are loved and that they're going to get through this and that we're going to sit with them until they get through. We're going to we're going to be with them as they are with their pain because we are going to be the incarnation of God. Vinnie Manzo became to me the voice of God in a season when I couldn't hear God for myself. You know, when Moses is at the top of the mountain giving God a hard time about being the deliverer, God says, well, okay, you've got an elder brother. You claim you stutter, but you're pretty fluid when you talk to me. So I'm, so your older brother is going gonna, is gonna to speak on your behalf. And I'm grateful that Vinny was my older brother. I'm also grateful that I have a high priest named Jesus who's my big brother. It's one thing to know that we're loved by the father, but we've got a big brother too. And I think one of the things that I came out of, I've, I've said this many times, I came out of that dark season and uh, with three questions. What is Jesus up to? Where is he going? And am I going with him? And I don't know that I had ever refined that question as deeply prior to my dark season as I have post, but I have lived with those questions post my dark season in a way that I think has served the purpose of God and the will of God in my life in a way it never did before and served the body of Christ in a way it never could have before. So Jesus is much sweeter to me today than he ever was before. He's the lover of my soul. He's not arbitrary in that love. He is faithful in that love. And um, I've learned how to abide in that love in a way that in some of my toxic beliefs prior to that, he was kind of a fickle lover that was more a judge than a lover. And um, I'm grateful that I found out that the real Jesus wasn't the Jesus of Bildad and his buddies. Well, we're excited for the release of this new book and tell our listeners where they can pick up a copy. All the major booksellers have it available for pre-order right now. It will be available for full release on July 16th, but they can pre-order it right now. It's chosen Amazon, Alibri, uh, all the major booksellers have it. Uh, They're anticipating a pretty robust response to this. I'm grateful that Christine Kane wrote the foreword. I was deeply humbled that she would do that. Um, There's some wonderful men and women of God in the kingdom, both pastoral and scholarly, that did endorsements for it, and I'm grateful to all of them as well. But I trust that it will be a, a healing balm to those that are in any way tormented mentally and emotionally and dealing with afflictive, negative, persistent thoughts that affect their ability to see the future with any sense of clarity. Mark, thank you for doing this work. It's a gift to the kingdom of God. It is a gift to believers and perhaps even some that are trying to figure out what they believe, but just knowing that they're going through a season and they, they don't know how to get out of it. So friends, that is on the edge of hope, no matter how dark the night, the redeemed soul still sings by Mark Sharona. Um, And 
I hope if this has been encouraging to you that you will share this podcast with someone you know that might need it. We are praying for you, friends, and may God bless you.